the community. Inspire Radio. Okay. And we are back. Yeah, it's eleven o two a.m. Are you there, Sophie? Let's have a look. Uh, are you there, Sophie? Hello. I am. Can you hear me? It doesn't look like it's working. Hold on one second. Um, I can. Hear Sophie, you. can you hear us? Yeah. All right. I let's just try. You. I can hear you. We're sorry about this. We're having a few issues with our um, with our fo- with our thing at the moment. Trying to connect it. I'll just try this one. Are you there, Sophie? I'm here. Oh, there we yes, go. it worked. Oh, gosh, I tell you, I was starting to get a bit stressed out. <laughs> I could hear you loud and clear. Oh, gosh. That's okay. amazing. Okay, so, Sophie, we are very yeah. excited to have you on today. I was hoping that we could start off by having you tell us about yourself and your position at NoFast and what you're doing there. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm I'm the Chief Operating Officer for NoFast Australia, and um, as much as we'd love no FASD to stand for no, FASD is actually the national organisation for FASD across Australia. So we're the essential bridge, if you like, linking people who've got lived experience with researchers and clinicians. Um, now, I appreciate probably some of your listeners might think what is FASD, um, and it's a, the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So it's a diagnostic term, so it's used to describe uh, the impacts on the brain and the body of individuals who may be prenatally exposed to alcohol. Mm-hmm. So what people probably don't know is that it's actually one of the, or is the leading preventable cause of birth defects and developmental and learning disabilities worldwide, um, and is estimated by the Australian Medical Association in Australia that around about between 2 to 5% um, of individuals are impacted by FASD. So it, it's pretty huge, um, and we just don't know enough about it yet. And so how, it's really oh, sorry, how common is it? Like, how common is, is alcohol spectrum fetal dis, dis, uh, sorry, spectrum it's disorder? It is a big mouthful. Order. Yeah, I've been saying it all morning, and it's just been flowing, and now I'm like, blah, 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 blah. No, but how co- how actually how common is it? Because I've I've I mean I'm only just sort of learning a little bit about it myself. Yeah, well, look, it's a really good question, and and like I say, the Australian Medical Association says between two two to five percent of prevalence in Australia. So that that's looking at around about fifteen thousand plus births every year. So it's not insignificant Um, and it's actually two and a half times, believe it or not, more prevalent than autism spectrum disorder. But you don't hear about it. Um, And, you know, most of the reasons why people don't hear about it and it's not um, the the awareness isn't there in society is often stigma um, and lack of knowledge as well. So currently the Department of Health has invested quite considerably, this is the Commonwealth Department of Health, um, quite considerably into raising awareness of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So in the next few years, I do not expect us to have this conversation because you'll know what FASD is and for your listeners um, because there will be a general awareness campaign that's happening. Um, but FASD isn't new. So it's been known since the 70s in the English-speaking world that prenatal alcohol exposure can damage um, a developing baby. And what happens is that alcohol actually passes through the mother's bloodstream um, and through the placenta. So, you know, as you could imagine, a baby's liver is is far tinier and can't actually process the alcohol as, as well as the uh, the person that's um, carrying the baby. So, um, but because it's the lady that's pregnant, it's always, you know, an assumption that somebody's chosen to drink alcohol um, and they've chosen not to stop. But that's actually, you know, a very big misconception. 
So um, we do know that around about 50% of pregnancies in Australia are actually unplanned. So there'll be many, many people who have chosen as a couple uh, to get pregnant and um, they didn't actually know they were pregnant um, and therefore um, have continued to consume alcohol. So uh, that is something that I definitely wanted to get into with you, Sophie. Um, But what I really would like to know is if you can tell us about how you became, um, I guess, involved with this organisation and and why. So what is your story and how has this um, impacted yourself? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a very personal story, which I don't always share um, publicly um, for the privacy of my family. Um, That's understandable. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, But I actually, my first discovery around um, FASD was probably 13 years ago. um, And that was actually the the current CEO now of no FASD um, was in a different role then. And I had my second child and uh, she asked me if I would sort of survey my friendship group. So to give you a background, I lived in a southern suburb, which was, you know, sort of middle class, I guess, if you want to use class systems and, you know, people who've got education, who um, have got their own sort of income coming in. Um, and in a group where we were all talking about alcohol and everyone had such different views. It was really, really interesting. And um, that surprised me, I think. I mean, I fed the feedback back to, to the lady at the time. And um, yeah, that, that was an eye opener that different people thought different things, including myself. Um, and then I, I worked, I've worked in sort of management roles and senior management roles across um, sort of drug and alcohol sectors and homelessness sectors and injustice systems too. And um, I would have been sort of frontline um, witnessing situations where people had fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, but they just weren't diagnosed or they were misdiagnosed because it's not always common knowledge what FASD is and how to diagnose it. It's quite complex. Um, and then I joined No FASD three years ago. Um, and as I was learning more about FASD and the research, I read a piece of information that suddenly kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning, I guess you could say. And that was that there was no minimum threshold um, in the diagnosis, which means that there is no proven minimum amount of alcohol that can actually cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So we know that the higher quantities, the higher frequencies do actually pose more risk. But it also can be, for example, a couple of occasions, what's called binge drinking, which would be between four and six units of alcohol. So I don't know about yourselves, but I I think probably many of your listeners could be listening now and think, well, to have four to six units of alcohol is not that extreme um, on a night out if I'm not expecting to be pregnant. So um, that's not uncommon for that to happen. I think it's around about 60% of women actually drink alcohol during pregnancy and mostly unknown. Um, So I actually realised when I read this startling piece of information that there was a risk that maybe my eldest child could actually have prenatal alcohol exposure because he was showing many, many signs in his academic learning and, you know, how he was in himself. Um, Three years later, I actually, well, we have a diagnosis of FASD for our eldest son. Um, That was quite shocking. Um, I would be probably seen as a fairly typical English Aussie. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, as soon as I knew that I was pregnant, and obviously I wasn't drinking that amount anymore, I uh, read all of the guidelines from the National Health and Medical Research Council. And um, back in the year when my son was born, the um, guidelines were still that you could drink up to two units of alcohol per day whilst pregnant. 
So um, I continued to drink during my pregnancy one unit a week, thinking I was way below the um, amount and therefore there could be no risk to my child. Um, and during that time, I should say, that, you know, I always washed my salad leaves and I didn't eat soft cheese and I had weak caffeine in my coffee because, you know, there was always those risks that I knew about that I was more concerned about. So quite startling um, and something that, you know, we really need as an as a industry, as a organisation, but also as a community, really, to start to support mums and children that have FASD to, to really understand that, you know, that stigma needs to go so that we can really give individuals support. It's, it's it, yeah, that that's funny. I like how you said, like, we worry about, you know, obviously, like you said, I mean, I remember when I was pregnant with my first, um, I was so worried about having a soft serve ice cream because, you know, the listeria, yeah. the, oh my God, I don't want to get listeria, I don't want to get listeria. And, and yet, you know, like, you, you're right, you, you tend to think, oh, you know, one glass. It's not going to hurt, sure. and it and, and I mean, look, it's not like we're all perfect, and we we, we do these things, but it, yeah, obviously now with with research and and all these studies and things coming out, we're being made more aware now that really not no amount of alcohol is safe for an unborn child, because like you yeah. said, they're they're so their livers are so small and 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 not like our own. Yes, yeah, that's it, and um, you know, during those first three months, you know, you often don't know you're pregnant, so. Sort of the our message certainly as an organisation is about when you plan a pregnancy, you know, plan for six months before. Um, it can be unexpected when it happens, and it's um, you know, if if you're having unprotected sex, don't drink alcohol. If you're drinking alcohol, have protected sex. You know, like it's it's really that you don't want to play Russian roulette with the situation. And um, what we we sadly do know is that there are many. Um, you know, fetuses are exposed to alcohol because women just don't know. So the general awareness campaign that will be coming out is going to be a really positive step forward because more and more people will, will realise that, you know, that real risk is there. Um, and, you know, the support then becomes more available for people. And we know, you know, with FASD, unfortunately, there are many secondary conditions, which, you know, we, we know from the Banksy Hill Juvenile Detention Study that was carried out by Telethon Kids Institute, that more than 36% of those young people um, in the facility at the time were diagnosed with FASD. Um, you know, that's, that says something in terms of how many, you know, what kind of population of people are in the justice system and why that would be. Um, so there are many other secondary conditions. And the earlier someone can be diagnosed, the better the life outcomes for them. There's many supports and they can learn. They just learn differently. So being aware makes all the difference. Can I ask you, Sophie, I hope this is not sure. too personal at all, but did you find, have you found that you've experienced any stigma as a mother of a child with um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? Um, it's a really good question. I'm glad you've asked it. I, I think at this point, um, because our story is very new, um, I've rarely shared it publicly. I did speak at the um, Senate inquiry into FASD this year, and I have shared the story a few times, um, but anonymously. Um, I have shared it in training when I've delivered training, and to date, no, I haven't received any issues. But I think possibly because I'm telling my story and it's real and people are able to hear the story before they're making too many judgments. And I think more often than not, what it's actually causing potentially is concern for people who are thinking, gosh, did I drink? Did I have a few when my child was younger? 
Um, so it always concerns me slightly sharing my story that I'm going to evoke, um, you know, concern in others. And I should say at this point that No Fans Day Australia are funded by the Department of Health to run a free uh, helpline, which uh, the number for that is one eight hundred eight six zero six one three. Um, for anybody who is hearing this today and, and sort of questioning what may have happened in their family or for people they know, it's well worth making that phone call to, to get some support and discuss that. So that is definitely something, if you're happy for us to do, we can put up on our page and in our group. So just that anyone, anyone that's listening does know that. So just continuing on from that, um, so tell us about the people that you work with or, or just the people that are, are affected by fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, yeah. What sort of people are, are generally impacted? Well, I think probably, and again, that's a really good question because wherever there's alcohol, there's a risk of FASD. So um, community, you know, I'm saying, I use the word community as if the whole of Australia, if you like, sort of general perspective, but often it's thought that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander populations are significantly impacted, and they can be. Um, but it's actually, you know, it's non-Indigenous people who drink at higher levels generally and more frequently. Um, and again, assumptions are made. Um, I'll, I'll speak honestly. Um, I was never asked throughout the entire time that I took my son to a range of different appointments throughout his life, trying to get answers as to why he wasn't doing the things the way that other children did. And I was always left feeling like an over-anxious helicopter parent, to be honest with you. Um, and each time would walk away and think, oh, okay, right, it's just me, it's just me, my expectations are too high. Um, nobody ever, ever asked me if I drank alcohol during pregnancy. So it was never something I even considered because it was, you know, the, the two exposure times were before I knew of my pregnancy. Um, whereas I'm quite certain if I was from Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander background, or if I was from another social economic group, I think I would have been asked. I think assumptions would have been made. Um, and we know that sort of nearly 50% of health professionals actually struggle to ask. It's, you know, the having the confidence to ask a mum whether or not she may have you know, consumed alcohol during pregnancy. So if the question's not asked, it's really hard to find a solution. And so with that, when you were saying that, so what are normally the warning signs or the symptoms that you would look out for for a child that may... Uh, have experienced um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Like, what what are the things that normally are a, a signal, and that that what would then be the the recommendation for that parent to go ahead to get testing to make sure that 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 is actually the case? Sure. Look, there's um, mostly um, what tends to come through is as the child starts to mature slightly. So it, it can be um, something you know that the behaviours of a of a toddler can be quite different. Um, in terms of sort of meltdowns, getting very emotional about situations. It can be motor skills, you know, fine and gross motor skills, so not actually being able to hold or complete tasks. Some children may not meet their developmental milestones, but often children will do. Um, it's, you know, it can be sleeping issues. It's often quite prevalent. Um, inability to settle, to regulate. But because toddlers and babies and children are all individuals and FASD is a spectrum disorder, every single situation can be slightly different. So there's this misconception that people will have facial features. 
But what we do know is whilst there are um, around about 17% of people that will have facial features, there's about 83% that don't. So FASD is mostly a hidden disability um, and it's therefore usually the behaviours that come through that start to be picked up where parents may helpfully be offered parenting courses because they're not managing behaviours or a child may get labels that you know, they're a naughty child or they've got another disorder. So seeing a FASD-informed person, a specialist, is really, really important. Um, and I would honestly encourage anybody who thinks they're in a situation that they may have been in a situation of prenatal alcohol exposure, I would encourage them to go to either the No FASD Australia website or the FASD Hub website. You can Google either of those and they will come up for you. Um, and on the FASD, No FASD Australia website, there's a section there around alcohol and pregnancy, um, and gives you some facts around uh, drinking and drinking levels, but also under parents, carers and families, it talks about some of the characteristics across the lifespan, some of the common behavioural features um, and places and steps forward in terms of looking at diagnosis and management. Um, and what you would be advised if you phone the FASD helpline is to really make sure that you've thought through the situation for yourself, that you've got support um, before sort of taking that next step. But the first step to diagnosis is seeing a GP. Um, I will say, though, uh, my own personal experience was seeing three different GPs and each of them telling me that it was far more likely to be autism spectrum disorder. Um, because my drinking levels were low. Well, I knew statistically that FASD was two and a half times more prevalent than autistic spectrum disorder, so I knew that wasn't necessarily the case. So, um, yeah, be informed, get the support, and make sure that you've had a chance to talk to somebody because I can talk from personal experience and from talking to many, many parents and carers that if you do come across that scenario and you think there's a potential that you you know you were a mum and uh, or you are a mum and you accidentally exposed your child or that you had a substance misuse issue and didn't have the support to stop drinking then it's okay it's happened the scenario is where it is and there is support for you um but it can lead to a lot of guilt so it's important to get that support so just moving on from that sophie i wanted to ask you did you feel or do you see uh, in your line of work um, how the discrimination is impacting um, sufferers and and the support that they receive as a result of discrimination? Look, I'd say anybody who gets a diagnosis, um, particularly adults, when you speak to adults, they are so relieved when they get a diagnosis because they've known that they are different to other people around them. Um, but they don't know why and they blame themselves and they think that, you know, they use negative labels um, like other people do in society for individuals who aren't performing as it would be expected of, you know, that they're stupid or they're not capable. Or... So when somebody realises that they, they have a diagnosis and a reason, it can make a massive difference to them. I'd say for parents and carers, um, the stigma is what holds so many people back from getting a diagnosis. But also it's um, the lack of real awareness, really, community-wise and also for some medical professionals of really understanding what FASD is. And because there are so many areas that cross over with a number of other disabilities and disorders, it often is misdiagnosed. So again, I've mentioned autism spectrum disorder. There are many crossovers. Um, many children who have FASD will also have autism. 
and many children who have FASD will also have an ADHD diagnosis as well. So that's really so interesting. It, so we're potentially looking at comorbid diagnoses for people absolutely. who have FASD. Okay. So I'm actually yeah. a mental health student myself um, yeah. and I'm very interested in mental health. And I mean, this for me, I was very excited to do this interview with you because I'm, I, I'm absolutely keen to learn about FASD and just um, see what we can do to support your cause. Um, so what are the most common in that case? Because, I mean, m- myself, I'm quite vocal that I have ADHD. What are the yep. most common sorts of um, crossover symptoms that you see where you might confuse ADHD for uh, FASD for ADHD? Would it be like your hyperactivity? Would it be your inattentive or lack of focus? It can be all of the above. Um, and I think that's where, you know, often the misdiagnosis of the, the crossover become because there are so many similarities. So, for example, somebody may have, as you may know, I'm, I'm not sure, I don't want to get too personal with yourself, but ADHD can be the hyperactivity side or it can be attention deficit and another, you know, number of ranges around there. But the attention is also an area that can be impacted through alcohol exposure. Um, you know, there are other areas in terms of impulse control, which again can also yes. be part of ADHD. Um, but impulse control, executive functioning, being able to actually control decisions, start tasks, follow tasks through. Um, mostly it's sort of brain damage in the prefrontal cortex area, um, but also the amygdala as well, um, and the sort of flight, fight, and fight response too. So it's probably a bigger conversation um, and certainly somebody who's clinically trained, which I'm not, would be really good to sort of go into that in more detail. But in 2016, the Australian guidelines for diagnosis were formed and um, I'm actually part of a reference group now who's involved in working towards um, making sure that they're up to date and really sort of tightening them up as well uh, moving forward. So, um, yeah. those are the, the Australian Diagnostic Guidelines can be found on the FASD Hub website. Okay. And they're well worth looking at for anyone who wants to know more, but they are designed for clinicians, so they're quite detailed. So how do media campaigns impact societal views of this condition? So do you have a lot of um, campaigns? I know you're running, um, you've got your national actual day on Wednesday, 9.09 a.m. I guess we're, we're talking more here. So how do, how do you guys negative media campaigns um, or, or views societal views impact um, the views so, of this condition. Yeah. I mean, look, it's like anything, and, you know, as, as you would know from your experience in the mental health industry, yes. um, you know, it's a maligned area. It's somewhere there's stigma and people make assumptions. And, you know, you, there's always another article coming up, whether it be about mental health and, you know, relating to violence or there's so much stigma in that space. And FASD is no different to that in terms of um, how mothers are judged. Um, you know, if they have a child who has FASD because it's assumed that they've chosen to drink, that they've been, you know, uncaring. But the reality is nobody wants to harm their developing baby. Nobody wants to do that. And it's either because somebody really needs support to reduce or to stop their alcohol intake and they don't have it, um, or they just don't know or they don't have the awareness. Um, there was a horrible article recently written with the title of Booze Babies and talking about how people with FASD, you know, are pretty much playing a drain on the system um, and it's costing taxpayers this much money. And it was awful, you know, to see something like that in public newspapers. And the West Australian was one of those. Um, 
anybody who wants support and is thinking about talking more about FASD, you know, really doesn't need something like that. It's not helpful. But we always focus on the positive. That's what we like to do. So FASD Awareness is International FASD Awareness Day. And as you say, it's this this Wednesday. So we mark the occasion on the ninth hour of the ninth day of the ninth month um, to represent pregnancy. Um, and really, it's in a moment to take a collective pause to think about people who are impacted by FASD and the struggles because FASD is a lifelong disability. It doesn't get better with time. Um, and that's why diagnosis at an early age is so important so that all of the right strategies and supports can be put in place, which can be life-changing for individuals. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, we do things like encourage people to wear red shoes to school, to, school, to work, um, raise a conversation. If you're wearing a different colour outfit, people want to know why you're wearing red shoes. It's really unusual or different. So it's around the red shoes rock movement and just getting people to have a conversation because the more people know, then the less chance there is that uh, there's going to be FASD in this world. I'm really um, glad that you actually just mentioned that because that was actually going to be one of my next questions was about <laughs> the red shoes rock. Um, we we wanted to know like um, – whether, like, oh, sorry, what do you think that needs to be changed so that people with this condition and their families are treated fair, fairly and equally in society? You mentioned the Red Shoes Rock, so obviously invoke conversation. But yeah. what else do you feel that needs to people to be more open about it, less, I suppose, stigmatised and, and treated in a way that makes them feel bad about a situation like you know like you said nobody wants to hurt their baby and it just yeah. you know we don't I think we just really sort of we, we're so funny about pregnancy because we'll take care of certain aspects of it but we won't take care of other things and so how how do we do it so that we realize that you know what we need to support each other through this Absolutely. Well, look at that. And I think there's many approaches to that. One is, um, I think, a prevalence study in Australia would be amazing because we haven't had a general population prevalence study yet. We believe the estimates are between 2 and 5%. Um, and that honestly could be the tip of the iceberg. Um, that's compared to Canada and America. We know that our alcohol consumption is slightly higher. Um, the other thing is raising awareness. So, you know, the good news is, is that the federal government has got the campaigns there that are starting to happen. So we will start to raise awareness. And, you know, the more that people understand that 50% of pregnancies are unplanned and, you know, 60% of pregnancies are alcohol exposed and they are mostly unintentional, that the biggest damage can be done during those first three months. The more people understand that, the more reality there is that, you know, these, these situations can occur to anybody, to all of us. Um, so really planning for those six months beforehand. And that's sad too. Um, so, you know, abstaining for a period of time before trying. Um, upskilling medical professionals. There's some amazing medical professionals out there with knowledge in the FASD space. But there's many still, and I've had, I talk about that from personal experience, but from the callers we have on our helpline, that really do not know enough about FASD at this point in time. So really raising awareness in that area as well. And I guess you like with anything, you know, we put a hand out and we, we treat people with kindness. Um, because when somebody's living with an invisible disability, um, we, if they were in a wheelchair, we wouldn't ask them to get up and run. And we need to make those same kind of accommodations with somebody who has a hidden disability. But it's something that's impacted their brain um, through no fault of their own. And they really need to be given the supports and the different structures so that they can actually move forward in their lives. So really understanding an individual with FASD can't do things. It's not that they won't do things.
and I think that can make all the difference. And just um, in closing, what support services do you recommend for anyone who thinks they may be impacted by fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? As I said before, I think I, I would. We are the the national organisation, the peak body for parents, carers, and individuals with FASD. So I'm not just doing this as a plug for a not for profit that I work for, um, but we are funded to support people through the helpline on one eight hundred eight six zero six one three. Or have a look on our website. Have a look through them. There's resources that are there. They're free. There's a huge amount of free downloadable resources. Um, the FASD hub, as I've mentioned, is a website. Also, is a great place to look for FASD informed specialists. Um, and I would really encourage anybody to to really consider sort of starting to look at education that's available again on our website this Wednesday. Quite excitingly, because I've been behind it and it's been a lot of work, we are going to launch an online training module. So there's seven modules, um, and it's a certificated course. And anybody can join um, for free and get a certificate at the end. It takes about an hour and 20 minutes to complete. But it's a great resource to be able to work on uh, one module at a time to actually become more FASD informed. And anyone can do that course. That's absolutely awesome. I will be doing that. Yeah, I think that's so cool. No, that's really, really good. And so um, before we let you go, so Wednesday is the official day for it. So 9.09 a.m. on the ninth day of the ninth month is observed every year in recognition of the importance of being alcohol-free for the nine months of pregnancy. So at that time, do you recommend everybody just take a step back, come, you know, speak to their family and friends, go to anyone they know who's trying to get pregnant or who is pregnant and saying, hey, listen, do you know the importance of making sure that? I know that we all like to have a little drink in there, but just don't do it for nine months. <laughs> so, you know, is it? Yeah. Is, is that more about the day? Is just sort of opening up that conversation. It is, it is, and doing it in a supportive and caring way. Yeah, absolutely. And just and just raising awareness of anyone that's around you. And if you're in an organisation or a workplace, and you can get everyone to come together for a minute and have that conversation, then that's a, a minute that can save a number of children from a lifelong disability. Absolutely. And could we get you to to just um. Sorry, I just wanted to ask you if it's appropriate for us to do up a little advertisement for your website with your phone number on it. Just to, um, I've, I've taken some notes here. So we've got, you guys have a funded helpline, website resources, um, you have a hub and you have a specialist search. If we do up a little um, advertisement for our page, are you okay with us placing that up just to share around? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I do have a picture of me on the website then. I'd rather that wasn't shared. No, <laughs> no, 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 that's <laughs> fine. No, we, we've um, we've put a post up on the actual, um, on our, in our Keep It Real Inspire page. Actually, the ultrasound picture is my daughter. So yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now and I'm thinking, well, you know, you're right. Just to think that they was, you know, they're so little and they're so precious and um, yeah. that we, we do need to have that conversation with our friends and our family before we go ahead and even before conception of, you know, even thinking about conceiving about making sure that we just have that chat because I think it's like you said we take we take into account when it comes to listeria and and other things I mean there's people don't even go near the microwave when they're pregnant you know um so you know and just making that that educated decision to say you know what I'm just gonna abstain from anything for a long time so that I can give this this baby a chance so um it's really informative discussion I've learned a lot of things today so it's been absolutely awesome um Sophie I just want to say a huge thank you as well for coming on with us today I was really excited and um you know I loved how you talked about this as an invisible illness because it definitely is something that is an 
it's an it's a disability and it's you you can't always see that coming on and I completely understand what that feels like myself um and I'm so excited for this module so if you can keep us updated when that's released and thank you for taking time out of your day to help us make people more aware of what this is and how we can be more supportive of it and thank you for sharing your story Thank you. And thanks for giving us the air. It's great. Thank you. That's okay. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. And you. Bye-bye. Bye. For the community, Inspire Radio.